Let me read again to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 what I read to you a few minutes ago. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? God makes us to differ, and everything we have He's given to us. Therefore, there's no place for man to glory at all, except let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. Because the Lord made the differences, and the Lord gave us what we have. The sovereignty of God is not the omnipotence of God. The dominion of God is not the omnipotence of God. Omnipotence means all-powerful. And our God is all-powerful. He is the blessed and only potentate. He's very potent because he's very powerful. But sovereignty is not power. Sovereignty is the right and authority of ruling. Sovereignty is the choice to exercise that power. Sovereignty is not the power. Do not get omnipotence and sovereignty confused. Sovereignty is the fact that God is king and makes choices as a king that affect all the citizens of his realm. He has the power to do anything, but it's what he chooses to do that shows us his sovereignty. And he chooses to make men different. And so they are different. And he chooses to give things, and because they're given, we receive them as a gift from him, and therefore we cannot glory as if we had earned them or we had worked them up ourselves. Turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'm thankful that some souls were blessed by the Psalms 93 through 99. They're precious indeed. Psalm 103. We have looked at the fact that God is... Sovereign, a dominator over creation, over inanimate matter, over irrational creatures, and over chance events. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Whatsoever is in the heavens, the earth, and the seas, it pleased the Lord to put them there. We've seen those things. And it's not just His power. He's not just able to create Brother Charlie wanted me to make this clear to you in case it wasn't clear. It's not just that he's able to create an ostrich and a horse. He chose to create both of them. In fact, if we back all the way up, he chose to create. If he hadn't chosen to create, none of us or this universe would be here. He chose to create. He did not need to create. He was perfectly happy, independent of his creation. We believe in the independence of God, that we can neither add to Him nor take away from Him. The book of Job says it so well in several places that your righteousness does not add to God, nor does your wickedness take away from Him. You might be able to hurt another man with your wickedness, but not the God of heaven. The God of heaven was not hurt on Monday. The God of heaven is going to be magnified by what happened that day. And the way we're looking at it, he's already been magnified. Now let's come to some further considerations of his choices. He chose to create angels. He chose to create them with a free will in which they could choose to rebel against him. And a large number of them followed the devil in rebellion. He chose to elect and keep the others. And so there are two categories of angels And our God is sovereign over both categories. Hear the words again. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And the army of heaven are the angelic hosts. That's why he is called the Lord of hosts. Because he is the general of the army of heaven. Psalm 103 and verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His Word. We are looking at the sovereignty of God. He created angels that excel in strength. One angel took out 185,000 battle-trained soldiers of the Assyrian army in one night. 
So in the morning they were all dead corpses, as the Bible tells us. They excel in strength, but because he is their sovereign Lord, they do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. When God says go, they go. And when God says stay, they stay. When they come up with an idea, they ask him. Remember, Micaiah saw heaven opened and all the host of heaven on his left hand and his right hand. And one angel had this idea and another angel had that idea. And he said to the angel with the idea of going and being a lying spirit to the false prophets of Ahab, go and prosper. Amen. They give an account of their activities to him as we saw in Job chapters 1 and 2. The Lord's Prayer includes an appeal that his will be done on earth as it is done in heaven, because they obey their sovereign Lord. Though they excel in strength, he controls them all. Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels to deliver him from the Jews and from the Romans. God stopped the angel of the Lord that was slaying in Jerusalem after he had killed 70,000. And the Lord said, put up thy sword. And he put up his sword. Because the Lord is sovereign over the angels. He created four beasts that cease not day and night to say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And you know, when you come to Revelation chapter 5, it says in the four beasts, said, Amen. Amen. After, you've, after you've read through the words of the song of the angels, then you've read through the words of the song of the redeemed, and the four beasts said, Amen. Handel appreciated that little sentence there in Revelation chapter 5. That's why there's a five-minute amen at the end of the Handel's Messiah. Amen. He's trying to give those four beasts some credit because it says when those four beasts give glory to God on the throne, the 24 elders throw their crowns down around that throne because those four beasts were created for nothing but the praise and glory of God, amen. and they don't cease day or night to sing his praise. Let's be like those beasts. Let's not be like the beast that Nebuchadnezzar was. Let's be like those beasts that cease not day and night to give praise to him that liveth forever and ever and sits on the throne of glory. Therefore, what can we learn from this? Therefore, we revel in the angels he has assigned to deliver us from trouble. Our sovereign God is able to direct angels to go and do things. And he's told us that he has assigned his angel to encamp round about them that fear him and to deliver them. And so we can revel in that. We can be thankful for that. When we take ten flights over the next twelve days, we trust the Lord to hold that plane in the air. Because he's assigned his angels to do so. And whatever we have to do, we trust the Lord. I'm so thankful for being taught that in an early age. That in the corner of my bedroom, to keep... The monsters away, or the kidnappers, or whoever was going to come and get four-year-old Johnny. The angel of the Lord was in there, and I was glad I was taught that. And I believe that. The Lord makes choices. How many times have you cracked your head and survived? I cracked mine several times in school. We believed in war games when I was in elementary school, and that meant slinging large rocks at each other. And I got mine cracked several times. But you know what? I heard at break time from a young man who's a paramedic in our midst, that little boy yesterday, and this is one of the calls he got, a 15-year-old boy riding his bicycle in a Kmart parking lot. A woman turned the corner and just tapped him, fell over, and cracked his head. And it cracked it in a way that the fluid ran out of his head, and he died while they were taking him to the hospital. Sometimes the Lord says, an angel, put your hand under that head. And we get it cracked, and it just swells up. Sometimes it gets cracked, and its precious fluid runs out of that bowl, and it's death. The Lord God makes the choice in both cases. And those of you with young children, you're thankful for the angel of the Lord because he protects them. We can revel in the angels. You know what the Bible says about the angels that he created? They're our servants. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We do not enter into the worshiping of angels. They enter into the worshiping of our brother. Hebrews chapter 1. Those of you that 
memorized some in Hebrews for quizzing this past year. I hope you'll never forget these verses. You have some servants. And they're wonderful servants. Verse 14. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? The angels are all servants. That's what a minister is. A minister is a servant, someone that serves. And they're sent forth to serve them who shall be heirs of salvation. All of God's elect, the children of God, have angels. You can't see them. But we know they're there because the Bible tells us they're there. And do you know how many there are? It's called a comp- an innumerable company of angels right. in Hebrews chapter 12. We are come unto Mount Zion and an innumerable company of angels. They are the servants of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean them no disrespect. And there are many of them listening to my voice right now because they are in this room. And they are part of an army. According to rank, they are the principalities, the powers, the might, the thrones, and dominions that the Bible speaks of. And Jesus Christ has been promoted far above all of them. And he directs them and he rules them. He's the blessed and only potentate and king and of kings and lord of lords and the captain of the Lord's host. And he has saved us and we have angels to protect us at his appointment. God has dominion over the elect angels. They obey him. He sends them. They hearken to his word and they serve us. Glory in his sovereignty. Amen. How about the devil and his angels? He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And when the sons of God came and gathered themselves before the Lord in Job chapter 1, Satan was among them and gave an account to the Lord. We do not worry one bit about the devil. We're to resist him and he'll flee from us. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. You know that the Lord set strict boundaries on the devil. I hope that you gathered from Job 1 and 2 some precious things. Job was prosperous because there was a hedge built around his life. Mm-hmm. That is God's sovereign control of the devil and the evil angels that followed him. Satan knew about that hedge. When the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? What a righteous man he is in the earth. He eschews evil. He fears God. Satan said, Well, there's a reason he fears you. You bless everything that he does. You've protected everything that he owns. If you were to lift your protection and take away that hedge that keeps me away from him, he'll curse you to your face. Notice, there was a hedge that kept Satan from doing anything to Job. Amen. Amen. I love praying for a hedge. That's my point right now. This is not just to fill you with things you already know. It's to remind you we should pray to God for a hedge because he's able to put a hedge around a man that will protect him from harm and he's able to bless all the works of his hands I want to tell you another secret if you're being blessed in your life and you know that with that blessing you're not being tempted to gloat or glory in your riches you have a hedge Amen. you have a hedge or that would not be happening because if you had prosperity following you then the devil would be if it was from the devil and God had granted him to try pleasure or prosperity to deceive you, you would be glorying in it. But if you're not glorying in it and you're still being prospered, then God's got a hedge about you and he's blessing that part of your life. Thank the God of heaven. Amen. When the Lord said to Satan, okay, I'll lift my hedge. I'll lift my hedge. Notice, you can touch anything that he owns, can't touch him. See, I just love, I just love the general giving the orders and the private saluting. Satan can't do anything. Don't let anyone make you fear the devil. Jesus said, fear, fear me. I'm the one that hath power to cast into hell. The devil doesn't have that kind of power. Fear me, he said to his apostles. And so the devil was able to touch everything that Job owned, and he took everything that he had. Trying to destroy Job's faith. Didn't work. Job blessed the Lord. Job worshipped. We know the story well. Then... The Lord said, again, the second time, have you considered my servant Job? Look, you've moved me to destroy him without a cause. And he still hasn't cursed me. Skin for skin, life for life. 
If you let me touch his body, he'll curse you to your face. Okay? You can touch his body, but you can't take his life. Right. The sovereignty of God over the devil. Amen. It's, it's the highest creature we know about in the Bible. But he's totally under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Totally. And so we don't fear him. We fear him that rules him. And that's the Lord our God. And so down came the devil and covered Job with boils, sore boils, from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot, and he sat there and scraped himself. The itch must have been terrible. A devil-induced itch from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet, and he scraped himself with those boils. I've always imagined it being those little water blisters I used to get between my fingers. They're very small, but they're very irritating. I get poison ivy all the time. Paul and I would build forts in bushes that we shouldn't have been in. But we'd get, we'd get those water blisters between your fingers, and every time you grab something, you'd rub against it, and but just all over your body. I'm, I'm just trying to take something from my life. I know it sounds so pitiful. Nothing like Job. And he scraped himself there, but he still wouldn't curse God. And he said to his wife, Shall we receive good at the hands of the Lord and not evil as well? Amen. Woman, don't speak like the foolish women of the world. Don't think like the foolish women of the world. Think like God wants you to think. Don't speak to me that way. We have lived the good life for the last 40 years because God's had a hedge about us. And right now God's chosen to give us a different course for our life. And we're going to worship him anyway. Amen. But throughout those two chapters, total control over the devil. I read in Matthew chapter 8 that the devils had to ask permission to do something that you would think they could just go ahead and do. But not quite. We want to see the sovereignty of God over the fallen angels, the devils. Matthew chapter 8, verse 31 so the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. If you're going to cast us out, see, we can't stop you. If you're going to cast us out, may we go into the swine. Will you suffer us to go into the swine? Suffer means to permit. We can't do anything without your permission. Go. They went into the herd of swine. Praise the God of heaven. Jesus Christ had so much sovereign power over them. They came and fell at his feet and worshipped him. They told him their name, that their name was Legion because there was many of them. And they had to ask permission to go into pigs. Now, you're able to reason from the lesser to the greater, aren't you? The Bible teaches you how to do that. If the Lord takes care of one sparrow that falls from heaven, and he says, Ye are of more value than many sparrows, are you more valuable than a pig? I'll let you answer that. I know how I'm going to answer it. I hope. That I'm more more valuable than many pigs. But the devil could not go into a pig without Jesus Christ giving permission. Don't you fear the devil. Fear him that has the power to give permission to the devil. How do the angels that are close to the rank of the devil rebuke him? The Lord rebuke thee. They do not claim any right or power themselves to rebuke the devil. They say the Lord rebuke thee. Michael the archangel had a disagreement with the devil over the body of Moses. The Lord rebuke thee. Why the Lord's mentioned? Because he has total sovereign right and power and authority over the devils. You know the story well in Acts chapter 19, seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out a devil. They said, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches. The devil said, we know Jesus, and we know Paul, but who in the world are you? And that one man possessed by a devil stripped seven of them, and those seven men ran out naked, naked exorcists, running through the city streets of Ephesus. And great fear came upon them in that place, and they brought their books and burned them because of that event. Amen. They knew Jesus, and they knew Paul, that Paul preached Jesus, because Paul, by the name of Jesus, could cast devils out. Therefore, we have no defeated thoughts about the devil being too much for us to resist. The Bible tells us, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If the Bible says that, we can believe it and bank on it. Resist the devil. 
put up a resistance to the temptation that's bothering you, that's grabbing you, the sin that so easily besets you, resist it. Resist it. Go do something else. Ask the Lord for help. Say, no, I'm not going to do that. Today, I'm not going to do that. He'll flee from you. It's a promise of the Word of God. Therefore, we glory in the open victory that Jesus Christ made over the devils. Colossians chapter 2 tells us he triumphed openly over them on the cross of Calvary when he died. They had the claim of death against us because they'd got us to sin in the Garden of Eden that brought the promise of condemnation and death. But Jesus Christ destroyed it and he did it openly. Therefore, we recognize goodness and grace in our lives to be by God's sovereign hedge. The fact that things are good in your life, that the Lord's preserved your family, preserved your job, preserved your health. Think about those things. There's a hedge around you. God's protecting you. Therefore, we should pray for God to maintain that hedge to continue to protect us and to bless the work of our hands and to keep us from Satan's wiles and his destruction. Let's talk about man for a few minutes. God's dominion includes man in every respect. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Do you know what God thinks of man? As nothing. His reputation? Nothing. Grasshoppers. Worms. The dust of the balances. Less than nothing. Lighter than vanity. These are expressions the Bible uses to describe man. He does according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth. And that's us. It's no longer he does according to his will among the army of heaven but among the inhabitants of the earth. He can do whatever he chooses to do to man. Look at Job chapter 12. Job chapter 12. God has total dominion over you and me, over our race, over all men that have ever been born. (coughs) He gave the devil a free will, And the devil used that will in rebellion against God. He gave Adam, our first father, a free will. And Adam used that free will in rebellion against God. The devil and his angels fell and are bound in chains to eternal judgment. Men fell and would be bound for the same judgment were it not for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not owe us anything. He owes us only. He doesn't owe us anything good that man think of. He only owes us condemnation and death because those are the wages of sin and we've earned our paycheck. Job chapter 12. There's so many places that could be read, but let me read a number of verses here, beginning at verse 13. Speaking of the Lord. With him is wisdom and strength. Job 12, 13. He hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Also he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leadeth counselors away spoiled, and maketh the judges fools. He looseth the bond of kings, and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty, and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes, and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of darkness, and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increaseth the nations, and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations, and straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. One little section out of the book of Job about God's dominion over men. He's able to do with men whatever he chooses to do. I say again, he did not even ask you if you wanted to exist. And once you were given existence, you have an eternal soul that you shall deal with and him forever. And you cannot turn it off. You know, whenever you read those suicide notes, I had to end the pain. 
You had to end the pain. What happens when you pull that trigger? The pain just gets started. You may have read some suicide notes this past week about how a particular person was going to get rid of all his fear. Sorry. Your fear just got warmed up. Because then you're going to have to deal with God. And there's a sovereign God over all men. I just had to end it all. I just couldn't go on. Oh, so much better to go on here than to go on there. God designed your DNA and your physical features before you were conceived. Psalm 139. You know, God has more than one book. We have the book called the Bible, and he's got a few more. They just haven't been published on earth yet. There's the book of life. And there's this book. It's the book of DNA. It's the book of all your features. It's your life. Psalm 139, and listen to David. Verse 13, Psalm 139, 13, this is God's sovereignty over each of us. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God has a book, and it has all your features. And it had all your features before any of them were even formed. And so when we think about ourselves, and every young person needs to think about this, your height, your looks, your intelligence, your coordination, your strength, your body type, all of those aspects and many more are the choice of a sovereign God. Submit to it, be content with it, and be thankful for it. It's just right for you. It was not the luck of the draw. It was not genetic probabilities. It was providential sovereignty that chose everything about you. Do not bark against the Most High God. Submit to them. Rejoice in them. Trust God. Just give Him honor and glory. God is greater than man. Give Him glory for the way He made you. Do what you can with what He's given you and leave the rest in His hands. Notice what David said there. That is that is humbling. Thou hast possessed my reins. The reins that control us and that direct us. Or our, our directing of things. God was in total charge of us. You totally possessed my reins and what controls me. And any choices that I could make, you were forming me already according to your own reins. Your own will for my life. Consider also your parents. I do not want to, to plague your minds with a mathematical calculation. But I want you to consider your parents. All of you young people. There are four billion parents on earth right now. Four billion. You don't have a calculator that can calculate. the. It's called a mathematical combination of two people, pairs, being brought together with four billion options. Do you know how many options God had? He did not put ping pong balls in a tumbler and come up with two of them and say, those are going to be your parents. The God of heaven searched through all four billion parents and said, those two are perfect for you. They're just right for you. And those are the two parents that you have. They might have been good parents. They might have been bad parents. It doesn't matter. God gave you that set of parents. And you thank God for it. And you bless God for it. And you praise God for His choice. For who maketh thee to differ from another? God made you to differ. Don't you bark against God because you wish you'd had a different set of parents. 
Trust the God of heaven that gave you that set of parents. You bark against him and he'll make your life a whole lot worse than a bad set of parents. The numbers are staggering. Four billion. God could have arranged for one of your parents to have met any other option of the opposite sex in the whole world. He didn't. The two parents you have are the ones God chose. And you know what? He didn't ask you what kind you'd like. He didn't ask if you wanted wanted rich parents in a great country that were just going to give you whatever you wanted all the time. They'd take you to Toys R Us every week. He didn't ask you anything like that. He gave you the parents you have. When you you think about your parents, think God gave me those parents. When you're thinking about disobeying them, oh, you're not really disobeying parents. You're disobeying the God that gave you those parents. Samuel told Israel, God told Samuel, they're not really rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And when you reject your parents, you're rejecting the God that gave you those parents. The numbers are staggering, but God chose the parents you have. He didn't ask, he just did it. And it's for his honor and glory. He does that with nations. The nation that you were born in, God's choice. We're thankful for that. The generation you were born in. We could have been born when it was a whole lot more difficult to live than it is to live in this generation. God made that choice. What class you were born in. What language you were born to. All the languages flowing out from the Tower of Babel, God made those choices. And we humble ourselves before them. He didn't ask us. He didn't ask us anything. How about your job? This is, where I, this is where it gets a little more interesting. How about your job? Is your job your choice? Nope. You might have been involved in your job a little bit more in, than your parents. You know, you did get open the classifieds and look through the job offerings, or you, you pursued some method like that to find a job. You didn't do that with your parents. But I promise you, by the providence of God, the job you have is by sovereign choice of God. Amen. He arranged for that job to be available at the time you were looking for you to have an interest and to possibly have training and experience and education that matched up with the qualifications required and for you to have an interest in that job. And when you went to interview for it, they happened to like you because you found favor in the eyes of the employer right. more than anyone else that was there. God made that choice for your job. Amen. I don't care if you did have a little bit to do with it. God directed what that little bit you had to do with it so that the job you have, God gave you. Amen. So tomorrow, don't go to work and say, well, I chose this job and I can treat them any way I want to because I chose it. And I can unchoose it whenever I feel like it. God gave you that job and go serve him in it tomorrow. God led you to that job. God blessed you in that job. God made that job happen for you. God made that business happen. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try to change it. Listen, that doesn't mean a woman doesn't get up in the morning and think about applying a little bit of paint to help what the Lord made. And that applies to everything that we've said. If you don't like snakes, then you ought to take care of them on your property. But the Lord made snakes. The Lord makes jobs. And if you need to change a job, then change it. But until you change it, it's the, it's the job the Lord gave you. Right. And be thankful for it. It applies just the same to spouses. The spouse you have, you say, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I chose that spouse. And you know, as soon as you start thinking that way, you think that you can treat that spouse a little less. The way the Bible describes because you chose her or you chose him. But you didn't. God arranged all that. Amen. You, had, you hadn't, you think you had something to do with it. But the fact that you were looking for a spouse at that time and that other party was brought your way just at the right time in the right way so that you two ended up connecting with each other and choosing to be married. That's God's choice. God made that choice. He could have stopped you at any point of that process, and he didn't. He arranged for you to meet that person. Some of you have bizarre stories. I mean, from Montana? I mean, how many girls are in Montana? (laughs) Fifty? But one of them made it all the way way to North Carolina for Brother Red. You You know he likes to talk about that story. Was her stepfather a believer? Not on your life. Did it matter? No. As soon as you can realize, and and, and to to the degree you realize, this is God's choice. God chose. 
I'm going to submit to this and be the best I can in what God's given, God will bless you for it. That's where contentment can come in. Contentment, peace, submission is to realize God arranged all that. If this spouse was not what God wanted for me, he would have stopped it at some point during the process. He didn't. So I'm going to be content, and I'm going to make the most of it by the grace of God. Lord, help me. Thank you for the spouse that you sent me. You know, it's the same with your school teachers. It's the same with your bosses. It's the same with the church. The Lord hath set in the church them that please him. I know that there are some in every church that displease you. But do you know why they're there? To see if you love the Lord enough to love them. They're there for a reason. The Lord hath set in the church those that please Him. Brethren, let's move on. Let's think about the heart. God can turn a heart, open a heart, or change a heart as He pleases. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel 10. What I, what I just left, I hope will be profitable to you. God has been sovereignly in control of the things you think you chose. You say, but I made a mistake. I even repented for the person I married three days later. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you made a mistake. Do you, th- you don't believe that God could have kept you from making a mistake? Why didn't He keep you from making a mistake? Because He wanted you to make that particular mistake because the person you're married to now is no longer a mistake. It's God's choice for you. Don't you, go, don't you start reasoning that way. You just humble yourself beneath the hand of God, and He'll exalt you in due time. But if you fight against that hand, He'll press you into oblivion and pain. 1 Samuel chapter 10. We want to look at the heart just very briefly. You know I've preached a whole series on God's dealings with the human heart. But 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 9. God is setting up the first king over Israel. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that's... Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. God gave another heart. The the, the vessel that pumps blood in the chest of Saul, the son of Kish, did not get replaced. It was not the first heart transplant. It was a different mindset toward being king. Saul did not want to be a king at all. Saul was timid. The Bible tells us that. Though he stood somewhere between seven and eight feet tall, it said when it came time for his coronation, he was hiding among the stuff. That's the Bible words. He was hiding in the stuff. They had to go pull him out and say, don't you know that the whole nation's here to make you king? He was timid. The Lord gave him a new heart. Let me tell you, did the Lord give him a new heart? There was a challenge made to Israel. He went out and found himself a yoke of oxen, pulled out his sword, cut those oxen in 12 pieces, jammed them into a a UPS package, and had Big Brown take them to all 12 tribes and say, if you're not here tomorrow to fight with me in this battle, your herds are going to look like this. Right. That would get the message across, wouldn't it? They didn't have dry ice back then. Do you know how many flies were around that Big Brown when it arrived at its destination? That's a true story. God changed this timid man to be very bold, to be a king. First Kings, and that was First Samuel chapter 10. Now go to First Kings. First Kings. God is sovereign over our hearts. Did God harden the heart of Pharaoh? I'm not even going to turn you there. How many times does it say it? Over and over and over again. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We've wondered, we've, we've rejoiced, we've praised the God of heaven. That Pharaoh, when he came to the brink of the, the Red Sea and saw that water stacked up on both sides and a dry ribbon of ground going through it, and the Israelites climbing up onto the other side, he should have said to himself, I think I've had some problems with this God. I think he may be the Lord. I think my magicians told me this is the finger of God in your life. I think I lost my firstborn last night to this God. Did he he reason like that? No. He drove his chariot right down into that water. And the Lord God of heaven visited him in the midst of the Red Sea and took off his wheels. And we've rejoiced about this. You want to talk about a sovereign God? He is king of kings. That king said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He met him. He met him up close and personal. 
down there in the midst of the Red Sea. Off came his chariot wheels. Chariots do not roll well on just an axle. And all of a sudden, the water looked very high, and it looked very wet. And all of a sudden, the royal tunic of Pharaoh was stained. You say, how do you know that? Because it's in the Bible. Right. Not about Pharaoh, but about other kings. It says their loins were loosed. And if you don't think Pharaoh's loins were loosed, you're not thinking along with what, where he was and what he was facing. Right. God let him think about the fact that there was a God of Israel, and his name was Jehovah, before he let him suffocate to death in the water. Right. He got to think about drowning before he actually got to drown. He hardened his heart. No man in his right mind would want to go down into the Red Sea after what had just been done to him in Egypt. But God hardened his heart. And do you know what? If God hardens your heart, you'll do anything. Right. You know, if, if somebody ever says, well, I could never commit that sin, you do not know the Bible, nor do you know you. Right. You could commit any sin. First right. Kings chapter 18. Look at verse 37. First Kings 18, 37. Elijah has called fire down from heaven upon an altar that's soaked with water. And he said this, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. He's praying for revival as a prophet of God. He knew there was going to be a degree of a revival. And he, he mentions here in his prayer that thou hast turned their heart back again. Without turning you to Acts chapter 16, you know that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia so that she attended unto the things that were spoken of Paul. Jeremiah says, turn me and I shall be turned. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God is able to turn and he's sovereign enough to turn. He can give men new hearts. He can turn hearts. He can harden hearts. He can open hearts. He's sovereign over our hearts. Amen. Turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. God had three principal feasts for the nation of Israel. Three times a year he wanted all the men to leave their homes, their tribal lands, and go to the place that God had chosen and worship him there. Now when you're living in a war zone like the Middle East at that time, and you have nations all around you that want your property, for you to go to Jerusalem and leave your property unprotected was going to put the nation in great risk. But look what the Bible says. Exodus 34, verse 24, verse 23, to get the context. 34, 23. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. The Lord is able to restrain a man's desires. And he restrained them. Did he restrain the desire of the king of Assyria in Isaiah 10 to come and destroy Israel? No. He, he let that man go. And that man said in his heart, I want to expand my empire. So he went after the lands of Israel. But ordinarily, when those three feasts were being held, God protected their property. Right. Because this shows that God can hold a man back from what that man would ordinarily want to do. He can restrain that man's desires. In Genesis chapter 20 and verse 6, Abimelech said to God about Sarah, whom he had taken into his harem, I took this woman into my harem, understanding that she was an eligible woman, and that Abraham was... Her, her brother, God said, I know you did it in the integrity of your heart, and I kept you from touching her. Right. God made the choice in the case of Abimelech, who did something innocently from touching Sarah. God did not keep David from touching Bathsheba. Understand the Bible. Right. Understand God's sovereign control. Because God didn't stop David, did that make David any less guilty? Not at all. Not at all. God is able to stop desires. He's able to keep you from acting upon your desires. He's able to leave you free so that you're full of desires, like the king of Assyria. 
He's righteous in every single case, and we are accountable for our actions and responsible for them in every single case. Brethren, he can put you to sleep to miss something. King Saul, when David came down with Abishai and stood beside him, and Abishai said, why don't you kill him right now? You've got a chance. There was such a deep sleep upon Saul and upon Joab, or upon Abner that was with Saul. Abner, not Joab. God can put you in a sleep to miss something. He can keep you from sleep to find something. Can you think of the name? King of Persia? Ahasuerus? Or he can teach you while you sleep. Where does it say that? Job chapter 33. Oftentimes God does this by teaching us things in the night to keep us back from sin. Is that a sovereign God? He can put you to sleep to miss something. That's David coming into your camp. He can keep you from sleep so that you'll find something. That's what Mordecai had done for him in the past. Or he can teach you while you sleep. The blessed God of heaven is sovereign over our lives. He is king of kings. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of waters. He turns it whithersoever he will. You look down from an airplane upon a river of water, it winds back and forth, back and forth as it makes its way out to her to sea. And the Lord has a king's heart in his hands, and he does the same thing. Every one of your employers, every one of the rulers of our nation, God holds their hearts in his hand. Amen. That's where we put our trust. The most powerful, potent thing you can do for our nation is to pray for it. Right. Because then you're addressing the God that holds the hearts of the rulers of our nation. Your life's been determined according to its length, and that doesn't preclude you from using your means. God already knows what means you're going to use. You say, well, I'll I'll show the Lord. I'm going to go out and step in front of a Mack truck today to show him that he wasn't right about me. Oh, yes, he was. He knew that you were that stupid already. (laughs) That's just somebody barking against the sovereignty of God. Therefore, let's be content and thankful for our individual features and for our children's features and our grandchildren's features. Therefore, let's be thankful and submit to the circumstances of our lives, such as our job, our spouse, our church, and so forth. Therefore, political upheavals or individual madmen are both under his total control and direction shouldn't move us. We know that he's got glorious purpose, and there's one thing about the Lord. If you're able to figure out five purposes that he might have had on the Virginia Tech campus last Monday, he's got two billion that he didn't tell you about. That's right. Because he's able to do that many with one event like that. Therefore, let's make sure all of our plans are submitted to the will of God like the Bible tells us to. If we're going to go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, hopefully... We're supposed to say, if the Lord will, we shall go into such and such a city. Is that what it says? Mm -hmm. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Because we don't even know we're going to be alive tomorrow, let alone planning economic success for the next one year. Therefore, because of this aspect of God's sovereignty of being a dominion, having dominion over man and over our hearts, we ought to pray for God to turn our hearts. David said, incline my heart toward thee and away from covetousness. David said, unite my heart to fear thy name. We should pray for God to move our hearts as David did because he is sovereign and able to do that. The gift of eternal life is entirely by the choice and will of God. The Bible says, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. Amen. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. It's the good pleasure of God's will that resulted in predestination which led to our adoption as the legal sons of God by Jesus Christ. Right. Let me stir your minds up for just a couple of minutes as we, as we end this today. I want to show you that God has exercised his sovereignty in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ yes. for our Savior. You know, 
we find it amusing, and it is amusing. I, I enjoyed one of the songs we sang. It, meant, it said something about noble or holy mirth. And there is such a thing. It's in the Bible. You know, God laughed at some of the things he's done, and he's laughed at some of the foolish things men have done. He's laughed at men trying to rebel against him. And we think, we think some of the things are they're amusing because God's made them amusing. But I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of God that was stretched forth by God's right hand for our Savior. You think about the virgin birth. Some of you that are taking biology, I want to tell you about a God who overruled the laws of nature and the laws of biology to give Mary a son whose father was God. She said, how can this thing be, seeing I know not a man? The power of the highest shall come upon thee, and the Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I want you to know that there was power on this earth, and there was a choice to exercise that power that's not written about in your history books. And when it's written about, it's written about as a myth of Christianity. God caused that Virgin Mary to give birth to his son just 2,000 years ago. He moved Caesar Augustus to call for a tax of the whole world. Do you know why God called him to do that? So that, Dave, so that Joseph and Mary would be in Bethlehem where Jesus was to be born. I don't care how august Caesar Augustus was. I don't care that he had defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra in the Battle of Actium in 30 B.C. I know that he was a puppet doing the will of the God of heaven to get Joseph in Bethlehem in the city of David for Jesus to be born there. Because Micah 5.2 said, he, is go- he whose goings have been of old is going to come out of Bethlehem of Judea. I know that this earth's atmosphere was split wide open one dark night over Judean countryside and the angels of God worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. And they told those shepherds that a Savior had been born. Read about that in your history book. I'll tell you about the sovereignty of God stretched forth to raise us up a Savior. You astronomers. I wish I knew a little bit more about the stars, but I can read about one star. It led some wise men from the east, and it came and stood over the house where Jesus was. Wow. He was directing stars to lead them to Jesus. The God of heaven moved Herod to kill the little children of Bethlehem and the surrounding areas to fulfill Scripture. He didn't make him do it. That man's heart was so full of evil, all you got to do is go read a little bit about Herod the Great and find out how many of his own family he had killed. He was just a bloodthirsty man. All the Lord had to do was lift his hand of restraint to fulfill Scripture. I'm thankful that Jesus violated the laws of chemistry in his first miracle. He took water and changed into wine. And brethren, our Lord Jesus Christ didn't make Boone's farm. Because when, when the master of ceremonies of that wedding feast got a taste of what Jesus had just made, he said, usually we bring out the good stuff first. But here you're bringing the best stuff last. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Sovereign power on earth to reveal that he was the Son of God. And we could go on and on. Right. Biology, you know, it describes death. But the Lord Jesus Christ was able to overcome death. He raised Lazarus. He raised, he raised the daughter of Jairus. He raised the poor widow of Nain's son while he was on his funeral buyer going to the cemetery. He could instantly cure the incurable disease of leprosy with no problem. He could instantly cure blindness. The lame instantly walked. In fact, they leaped and they ran. And the paralyzed jumped up and took up their own beds. He could stop bleeding that physicians could not stop, and that it would waste a woman's living because he reached forth his sovereignty through the hem of his garment and healed the woman who touched him for healing. He could order insane devils out of the incurably lunatic 
He walked on water. Does that defy some laws of physics? Jesus walked on water. Because the sovereignty of God was here in this world with the omnipotence of God attached to it to reveal the Son of God. And there is not enough emphasis placed on this anywhere. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to know why God created, it was to send Jesus Christ into the world to get himself glory by creating the most magnificent substitutionary Savior for you and me. The wisdom and the power of God in Jesus Christ as our Savior. The wisdom and the power of God. I read that when he went to Nazareth and he preached about election, they took him to a brow of a hill to throw him off. But he walked through that crowd and they couldn't touch him by sovereign power because he was not to die by falling off a cliff, but by hanging on a cross. No problem walking through them. I enjoy him telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that he was not only talking with him, but he was also in heaven at the same time. He ordered a great storm at sea into a great calm. And when the men saw that, they fell at his feet and worshipped him. Peace! Be still! You know, you might say that to a two-year-old. Jesus said it to a great storm at sea. How about the law of physics in a little lunch? I've already mentioned it today. He multiplied it on a couple of different occasions that we know about. I love it when he told a fish to go find a coin and hold it in your mouth. And while you're holding it in your mouth, also swallow Peter's hook so that Peter can pull you up and take a coin out of your mouth and pay his taxes. Amen. Do you like your... Listen... I love this book. Amen. And I love the Savior it tells us about. The sovereign power of telling a fish to go get a coin. Do you think it was the right amount or did Peter need change? (laughs) Praise the God of heaven. Amen. He raised up the Lord Jesus Christ. He ordered a school of fish into the, the nets of a couple fishermen who got two boats together and those boats were sinking because the weight of that school of fish when they had fished all night and taken nothing. Praise the God of heaven. He laid his life down by dying, and he said, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Do you you know anybody like that? I have the power to lay it down. You'd fight me trying to help you lay it down. Are you with me? Did he resist, or did he go to the cross willingly? He was like a lamb going to the slaughter. He had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it up. And I sang, we sang that song this morning because I love singing, He tore the bars away up from the grave. He arose. Amen. He could have called 12 legions of angels. Which, which is greater, calling them or not calling them? Right. He made a choice not to call them, and that's real sovereign choice for us that he could save us. There was darkness over the face of the earth. For three hours. Ordered by the God of heaven. As he shut his glories in. And Jesus Christ hung guilty for our sins. On the cross of Calvary. And suffered the wrath of God for them. He sent a powerful earthquake. To accompany that darkness. That opened up the tombs. Around Jerusalem. So that when Jesus rose from the dead. Three days later. So did the saints. And they went in and had visitation. In the city of Jerusalem. We're not told any more about it. But one verse. The saints got up out of their graves and came in and knocked at doors and said, Hi, I'm David. I'm Abraham. I'm Noah. You know, or whoever it was that came in. The Bible doesn't tell us, but that was the, the power of resurrection was so great that it raised the dead from the cemeteries around Jerusalem. He tore a veil that, you know, historical descriptions tell us that veil was 60 feet high, four inches thick. They would test it with teams of horses to try to pull it apart. Jesus tore it from top to bottom when he died. Hardened Roman guards assigned to his tomb quaked and shook with the fear of seeing an angel that came to open that tomb up. Two disciples on their way to Emmaus had a man come along and join them. He spoke to them about the word of God in such a way it burned in their hearts. They sat down to have a bite to eat. He blessed the bread and disappeared out of their sight the Lord Jesus Christ. When he disappeared out of their sight, a little while later, Peter and the apostles locked in an upper room for fear of the Jews. Oh, they were as safe as they could make themselves. 
Jesus appeared in their midst. He didn't need to open the door. He just appeared in their midst because he was the Lord of glory and he defied the laws of gravity and levitated right out of this world and went straight into the presence of God. You can see him leaving in Acts chapter 1 and you can see him arriving in Revelation chapter 5. Amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and God exercised so much sovereign power for us in sending us such a glorious Savior. Right. Brethren, this doctrine can give you the peace of soul and mind no matter what happens in the world or in your life. And it can tell you about a Savior who chose you according to the good pleasure of His will. He, as the potter, has chosen from the clay to make vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Give Him glory in your life for making you a vessel of honor. Amen. We all deserve to be vessels of dishonor. Right. But He's been most gracious and kind to us. Right. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.